Let me welcome those of you, I guess, who are just now joining us online. We've had a wonderful time in the Lord's house this morning, and uh, welcome. Glad you're uh, tuning in to study God's Word with us this morning. I'm a planner, and most of you know that, um, so I have lots of ideas concerning ministry and other things that uh, I'm looking forward to investing my time in whatever helps that may remain uh, while I'm in this world. Uh, uh, making some of those investments on the other side of retirement, <clears throat> but not to get the cart before the horse. I've really been challenged here in the last uh, few weeks to uh, focus more on what I'm doing here and to try to finish well, uh, which was not really at the top of my list, okay? I was just sort of sliding out, uh, uh, loving on everybody and seeing where we went from there. Uh, but some pretty significant people in my life have uh, spoken to me and said, hey, keep your focus for four more months. And so I'm going to try to do that. So pulling the reins back a little bit on this anxiousness that she and I have about what this next stage of life is going to look like. I've been asking myself uh, and the good Lord, talking with him about how to finish up these 22 years, really. Uh, it would have been last October, uh, the things that he called me to do when I, I came here that long ago and served hopefully, um, as pastor, finish this up to the glory of the Lord as best that I can. Uh, and then it's not over for me here. It just changes in my role here as well, I hope, also. But we'll see how that goes. Like I said, I'm a planner. You know that. I, I like to, uh, to know where I'm going. I believe that uh, it's the Lord's will that we do that, that we make plans. And uh, I think we have to hold our plans loosely, like James says, it's if the Lord wills, because uh, he's in the business, it seems like, of changing my plans and uh, leading and moving me in a different direction. I don't know why, but God doesn't always just give me the master plan up front. Have you discovered that? You know, and so uh, there has to be this kind of day-by-day -day walk with him and trusting and dealing with him along the way. And I think he wants that. So I've learned to, uh, to go along with that and follow Jesus on a day-by-day -day basis as best I can. And uh, so that's the way I plan. So as I look at this, what would be my plan for the next four months here? Well, first of all would be worship. I want us to double down on these next four months on the whole concept of worship. And you say, well, what are you talking about, Rick? Well, you, you've heard me say this before, but I think the most important thing about worship is that it expands our concept of God. Who he is, how he works, what he expects from us, what we can expect from him. All of that is the sort of stuff that we talk about in worship. In worship, we focus on him. We sing of his attributes, of his love, of his mercy, of his grace, etc. We study his nature and his character. We extol the benefits of his favor. And it takes our focus for a minute upward. And I don't believe that there's anything more significant than our concept of God. It changes us as we begin to understand him as he truly is. If we miss this, if we mess this up and we understand or think that we understand God and we un our understanding is not accurate, then what we end up doing is having placed our ladder against a, a side of a building that when we get to the top of, we're going to discover we're on the wrong building. 
And we won't be at, at all relating to him as the God that he is, but we'll be relating to something that's not him at all as the God we have created him to be in our brain. And I don't think and in our mind, and I don't think there's any more significant than anything more significant than getting it right when it comes to God. And I love these songs we sang this morning. I mean, we will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. Isn't that good? Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. He will, we will bow before His throne. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. Hallelujah to the King of Kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb of Lambs. Are you getting the idea? We talk about in these moments who God is. We open the scripture and we see who he is. And hopefully we can develop in this a concept of God that is accurate. This affects everything. It determines the measure of our faith. It determines our perseverance, where and how we're going to invest our lives. Absolutely everything, I think, is contingent upon us having the right concept of God. If you go to um, two weeks ago and... Uh, grab on to uh, what that sermon was about, and I'm sure you can all remember it perfectly from two weeks ago. Um, we talked about believing, right? I don't even expect you to remember what Rich said last week. And by the way, Rich, thanks. Appreciate you filling in for me. It was obvious you did a lot of study and you gave them the whole load. They ought to be, you know, very, very uh, appreciative of that. Uh, Oh, reminds me of somebody else I know that preaches here. <laughs> hmm. Believing is a head-heart combo, right? If what we are believing here is not accurate, then what we're going to embrace here and live out there is not going to be accurate either. It'll be a misconception of God. Based upon that, it will be a lie to the world. Thus, our concept of God is everything. Believing has to be sourced in believing the right things about God. So as we looked at the book of John last week, I asked you as you read through this to just look at that whole concept of believing that he talked about uh, that we kind of entered into uh, last week because that was the theme that got John had given to the book. Remember, we read John 20 and 30, and it says... Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Were there different ideas about what it was to be the Christ, the Son of God in that day? Yes. By people who were looking and studying in the Old Testament, weren't they? And they had totally misconstrued what it was to be Messiah. And they were looking for Jesus to be something that he was not. And because of that, they were forcing in him into a mold that was not his. And they were trying to worship him in a way that was not him. And it was getting all messed up. And so a part of what John is saying here, if you look at this, is, is I've written these things that you may believe, that you may believe, that's an important active part of what's going on here, but that there's substance to it, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if you don't get that right, if you don't understand that, then you got your ladder on the wrong tree. And so if you a wrong building depends on, you know, I know tree doesn't work for some people. Okay. You got your ladder where it shouldn't be. All right. So anyway, you want to end up at the right place. 
So if you read through this, you're going to see that he's not only talking about this believing concept, but he's unfolding for us a picture of a Messiah that was completely revelational to most of the world in that day. There were a few probably, but even John had his questions, didn't he? And so you're going to see that revelation unfold, and what we want to do is to embrace that. Okay, now think with me for a minute. Do you have any preconceived ideas maybe about Jesus or God that you might not have gotten from Scripture that might not be who he is as the Son of God or who he is as the Messiah? Well, no, I've never heard any misconceptions. Have you? <laughs> well, uh, God is all love, and he's, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Mm, let's talk about who your God is. Let's talk about your concept of who God is. Because you obviously have misinterpreted what God means when he says he is love. He is love if you do not believe that he will send you to an eternal hell. You know, how do those go together? Well, I'm not going to explain that this morning. That's not the sermon. But what I'm doing is giving you an illustration of how we can carry the wrong ideas even today about what it is to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And so what we want to do, I, and I almost hesitate to say this this way, because sometimes we just need to come to the Scripture with a blank slate. Just forget everything we've ever learned and just say, what does it say? And, and yet, we don't want to do that. We want to come to it and evaluate everything that we've learned by this book. But the problem is a lot of times we already have our minds so made up that we're reading in our concept of who Jesus is into this, and we're doing this to make it fit, right? Even if it means, oh, this page has got to go. You know, we got we to make it fit. And so John is saying, I've written these things so that you can believe. And you can believe right about who Jesus is as the Messiah and who he is as the Son of God. So when you read through this, he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs, miraculous signs. Why? He's saying, pay attention. I'm telling you something about this Jesus. Something you need to get. And that's what I want us to do as we go through this. I want us to look at it and to see that Jesus as he really is. That God who he really is. And I don't think I've gotten it all right either because he's bigger than I am. But boy, there's some things he really laid out that we can nail down that we have to. And so as we look through this and we read through this, that's kind of the mindset I want you to have as we get these glimpses then as we go through here about the real Jesus. And maybe we can just introduce ourselves to somebody we can fall in love with all over again. Wouldn't it be fun to do in the next four months? Worship becomes a part of that. Let's read John 3. That's where we're at this morning. <clears throat> and let's play with these concepts for a minute. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. But he came to Jesus, didn't he? I mean, we know why he was coming at night. But he came... He gets, he gets kudos for that. There was something in this man that drove him so much that even though there was all this pressure not to be there and not to 
be asking this man these questions. He couldn't keep from it, and so he found him at night. Now, that's my interpretation of that. Oh, that God would send His Spirit upon people so that they would be that inquisitive again. There was something in this man that was unique. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Okay, it might be important to understand that concept. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus said, he asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my sayings, Nicodemus. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Well, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now this is the verdict. That light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light, and he will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth, why well, he comes to the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I think it would be important at this point to take a moment and go back to Numbers, the 21st chapter, the 8th verse, and to look there at that reference to that snake in the, the wilderness. And it, Numbers 21. Children of Israel, they traveled from Mount Horeb along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. Didn't like the journey, didn't like the path that God was taking them on to the promised land. We have never fussed about the path that God had us on. I know there's no application here, but anyway, that's where they were. There was no bread. They were hungry. There was no water. They were thirsty. 
They detested this miserable food. And then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, You make a snake, and you put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake, he put it on a pole, and when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Now you got to remember, this was a large community of people who were traveling. It wasn't like Moses made the bronze snake and it was from me to Susan. Or you could look up and there it was. To even see the thing, you had to travel a distance. You had to make an effort to come to it, to look up, and then put your faith in God in that moment. What does this tell us about God, about Jesus, his work, his place as Messiah? What do you think? Something like maybe this, if you don't take God's provision, you're not going to survive his judgment, you'll die in your sins. Could we possibly get a lesson like that from that passage? Putting that with what we read in John? We're not going to see it, the things of the kingdom of God, unless we're born again. It looks to me like if you want to be a part of the stuff of the kingdom of God, that you're going to have to make this quantum leap into this spiritual world, right? I tell you the truth, no one can enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, he says no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. He says, unless he is born of the water now, in verse 5, and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to Beth. Flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying this. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it will. You hear the sound of it. Can't tell when you let. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. If you read over in the next chapter, you're going to see Jesus is dealing with a woman. And there as he deals with that woman, she asks him about worship and where they worship and how they worship, so forth. And Jesus says this, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks because, look at this, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What's your concept of God? The holy Little ghost running around in heaven, you know? Is he a Jew that looks, you know, has a nice beard? I mean, what's your concept of God? He's spirit. God is spirit. We have a soul. We have a body. We have a spirit. That is the way we think of things because that's the world that we live in. It's the stuff that we're made of. Um, if you look in... First uh, Thessalonians 5 and 23, Paul says there, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. So we are made up of those three, at least in my theology. Some argue that, but I don't think it's arguable. 
spirit, soul, and body. He kept blameless at the coming. He will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. So just, just to pull that out and to look at it, we see that that's what we are. That's not what Paul's talking about here, but he refers to us as spirit, soul, and body. And that's really the entity that we are. I think a lot of times we give too much emphasis to the body and to the soul, heaven and hell, where they're going to be, and not to the spirit and the spiritual life that, that we're to be a part of. In Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Surely a part of being created in the image of God would be the fact that man is spirit. As well as body and soul, man is spirit. I believe that God set his kingdom up on earth in the hearts of men. I believe that's the process that he's still doing. I believe that is the spiritual kingdom that he is ruling over and reigning over. And that affects everything. That understanding affects my eschatology. It affects the way I live in this world. It is when we believe, it's when we receive his word and his truth and we follow in obedience that the kingdom of God has come in our lives right down here on earth. He's ruling and reigning right here in the hearts of men. It's what I believe. Note here that it is maybe more than what this passage says when I say that you know, we're believing the truth, we're receiving a word, we're following in obedience. This is a spirit thing that the kingdom of God is coming into our lives now. And then his will is being done here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, but can we agree from this passage that to be born again is a spirit thing? It's a spiritual thing without which we're going to have no part in the things of the kingdom of God. So let's just let's just dumb it down to that. Is that a fair statement on what we read? Yes, I think so. So, what does this mean? If this is our concept of God. So, worship then is about speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like it says in Ephesians. The teaching is to be about spiritual truth and spiritual wisdom. We are to crave, as Paul says, spiritual milk. And then we're to move on from that to bigger things. The war that we're fighting is spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. To pray is to pray in the spirit and to build up the household of God is to build up the spiritual household of God, his church and his people. So we're going to step into something spiritual, something of the spirit whenever we come together to worship. And if we haven't done that, then we've missed part of what God wants worship to be about for us. The applications of this are astounding. So now what am I? I am a missionary. The kingdom of God I seek to advance is a spiritual one in the hearts of men for the souls of men so that the spirit of man might connect with the spirit of God, God who is spirit, and the truth of God, and then em they're embracing the mind of God, which, was which will culminate ultimately in us living the, the abundant life that God wants us to live. Okay, very practical. Just very practical how that works out in the world. 
this was election week. You were all excited about how that came out, right? Okay. I don't even know. I haven't checked up here in Washington to see who won or didn't. I just assumed I lost, you know. I did? Okay, good. I'm glad to know nothing's changed. I voted. I voted with a clear conscience before God. I voted my Christian values and ethics. And the people I voted for, I'm told, lost. Or at least that is uh, what we're told they lost. Tino Rossi might disagree. They always do lose in this state. Welcome to the mission field, folks. Welcome to the mission field. So I'm not going to be able to do anything really significant to take over what I consider to be God's job in this matter and establish authorities here that are going to be to my pleasing and His, right? No, I think the ones that He wants there are there. Romans 13 and 1, there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Some of us thought we were going to take over God's job in this election and do what we wanted instead of necessarily what he wanted. Now, actually, maybe we were just hoping that what we wanted was what he wanted, right? But he's got this. Let's let him do his job. Let's do ours, okay? It shouldn't be a shocker to us, really. God's still large and in charge. So, I'm going to comply. Till I can't in good conscience, and then I will die in good conscience before God. It's called being a missionary. And yes, they're going to hate you. <laughs> they're going to hate us. All men, it says in the book, are going to hate us because of our relationship with Jesus, and we act surprised about that. And we're going to be persecuted. He says that too. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So we should consider ourselves blessed, he says, if you're persecuted. Because then we're going to see the kingdom of God in new ways. That's a spirit thing, isn't it? Jesus said this about his kingdom to Pilate. It's a verse I go back to often. Because it's one of those that's foundational for what I believe about God. When questioned about his kingdom and was questioned, when questioned about the fact that he was accused of being a king that was causing insurrection against the Roman government, he says this, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. What kingdom are we trying to build? Jesus didn't try to take down the Roman government. He figured his father was big enough to handle that. Some of us haven't figured that out yet. Not my problem. He said, I'm building a kingdom here. Kingdom that's from another place. Kingdom that's not of this world. Could it possibly be a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men? Where's your focus? Well, this kind of works for me because I've always thought that one should be more concerned about the eternal stuff than the temporal stuff, and everything here is just passing away anyway. So I'm not too panicked. I don't have everything packed up to move Lori and I to Texas or Idaho. Besides, I couldn't get there anyway. 
Well, I could, she couldn't. So what are you going to do? I'm going to love people. I'm going to share the truth. I'm going to try to build up a little bit this spiritual kingdom if I can. By giving folks the opportunity to let Jesus rule and reign in their heart. How? By sharing the truth of the Lord with them. The truth of his word with them. That's it. Building up the spiritual kingdom. Well, that brings me to the second part of my retirement prepping. Every church and every individual needs a strategy for evangelism. Do you see how this really works? What I believe about God has affected my attitude about life. Uh, in a world where the disciples really didn't even understand what Jesus was saying when he was telling them the kind of Messiah he was going to be. We live in the midst of a world who just doesn't understand who the Messiah is. And we need to be those same people trying to share with them who Jesus is. And we don't want to really force this upon people through some sort of a government. We want it to be a matter of the heart. Constantine tried that. It didn't work. It won't work. And so today we're building up a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men. And we have to do that in part by evangelism. Our strategy for evangelism has to be, it has to contain, I think, an understanding of an eternal God who is so incredibly powerful that he can set divine appointments up for us so that we can have opportunity to share the gospel with people that his spirit has already been working with, that he's drawing so that they might be a part of the kingdom of God. And we don't want to miss those. We need to remember that it's never about the horses. A mindset that we need to have of building up his spiritual kingdom we need to pray for the lost. We need to meet their needs. We need to pray with people. We need to invite them to church, to evangelism events that go on here. Share the gospel as much as we can and as often as we can. As a church, God gave us years ago a puppet ministry and a VBS ministry. This was an incredible tool that we used to disciple kids and disciple the saints to build them up in, in the ways of the spiritual kingdom and to evangelize the world. And we used it to help other churches fill their buildings. It was an amazing era in the life of this church. I don't know what God will do next, but discipleship and evangelism will be a part of what he does in any church that is thriving. So we're going to worship. We're going to evangelize. And we're going to be a part of building up the saints in discipleship. And that's where I want us to go for the next four months. I want to double down on those things. I think it would be a tragedy if I left this church and everybody that's going here doesn't understand how to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, is not very comfortable doing that. We have an E-team that meets the second Sunday of every month. We're going to meet this morning. And again, just uh, talk about what I can do to help you be able to present the gospel freely and, and just comfortably in the world that you live in. I know what some of you are saying. You're sitting there going, I know you're saying, Rick, that's what you've been doing since you got here. You've been all about worship and developing this concept of who God is. You've been all about evangelism, trying to get out there and 
and uh, leading us on an individual basis to change our world just by praying for, sharing with, serving this, these people that, are, that God places in our world. To look for those divine appointments. And you've been about discipleship. Bringing us together in growth groups and in Bible study to build us up in the thing, things of the Lord with some accountability and some jumping into the things of God in a way that brings us life and life eternal and new freedom in our walk with Jesus Christ in the midst of a world where the devil is just assaulting us. That's what you've been doing since you got here. So what are you going to do different than when you came? Nothing. <laughs> just going to double down on it a little bit. want to be sure that as I walk out the door, you got it. And I can assure you that when whoever walks in next, he's going to be equally concerned about these three things and one other. There's one more thing that I, uh, I have been a part of in my ministry here as well. I had four major themes when I came, and it's four major themes that I'll leave, I'll leave with. And all of it centers around the spiritual kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing him to be the true Messiah that he is and understanding God to be the God that he is. I've spent a lifetime pursuing it. You have too. I think we have something we can share with the world. So let's do it. In these months ahead. I can't think of a better way to prepare for the next guy. Than to know what we're doing when we come together. Know what we're doing when we're walking in the world. And know how to grow in our relationship with Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Glory, glory, glory to the Lord God on high. We thank you. Because once you get it, Jesus is so overwhelming, he takes your breath away. And your love for God increases in a way that it's hard to imagine doing anything but persevering to the end. As Peter said, you have the words of life. Where else can we go, Lord? And so we just keep coming here. Back to your word. Back to the fellowship of the saints. Back to the kingdom that is spiritual. Back to that which is eternal and not which is temporal. We worship you, O Lord God. How great you truly are. Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, we give you praise. Amen.